listening to Buggy Talk, where some of your favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fredikowski, and each week I bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we have Amish author, Patrick E. Craig with us. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? I'm great, Tracy. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot of things to talk about today, one being your new book, Islands, Far on Ringing Plains, that you're writing with Murray Pura. But before we talk about that, a lot of our listeners like to get an inside um, peek at some of their favorite authors. So I like to ask almost little personal questions about your writing career. Is that okay? That's absolutely fine. I want to know what inspired you to start writing in the first place, because you have a diverse background. You have a musical background, which I found amazing. So tell us what actually got you into writing. I published my first article when I was in the second grade. Oh, my goodness. And it was just a little ditty called What I Did This Summer. But I got such positive feedback from everybody in my family and relatives and friends and people in the school that would come up and say, boy, I really liked that story. That was funny. And I thought, since I was getting such good reaction, I was thinking maybe this is something that I could do. And so I pursued it. And so every school that I was in, I was the editor of my school paper and, um, I just, I won some awards. I won and I, and I wrote. And then when I got into music, my, I, I was a player and I played keyboards and sang and was in many, many bands and even some that had uh, a modicum of success in the music industry. But my favorite part of being in music was always writing songs. And I always wrote story songs and uh my my I had an aunt who was a, a brilliant writer. I had a grandmother who was a, an Irish Shawnakee. I mean, she could tell stories from our family going back three, four, five generations. And even my mom, who was <clears throat> sick, I helped her write a book when I was 12 years old. She, w- she had MS and, and was bedridden. And she would dictate her book to me. It was called King's X, about her experience with multiple sclerosis. She dictated it to me, and then I would write it. And so I've been writing uh, all my life, basically, since I was seven years old. And when I retired from being a pastor in 2003, I thought now would be a good time to do what I've always wanted to do, which is to tell stories. And so here I am. That is a fabulous uh, background. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. On the flip side of that, what do you think is the most challenging part about writing for you? Um, I would think sticking, sticking to it, making sure that I devote some time every day to writing something, putting, getting something down. I have a a folder on my computer that's got 60 story ideas and I'm right now I'm working on about three of them, 
So I think the most challenging part is to make sure that <clears throat> I keep that book and the story really directed and focused. And I have a, an overall theme that I try to keep it, you know, attached to that theme all the time. And like with my Amish books, the, the main theme that you'll find through all of them is the law doesn't save you, only Jesus Christ does. Perfect. And so when I'm writing a book, I, I keep, have to keep my mind there. What, what's, what's the theme? What are we trying to tell people? What are we trying to get people to take away from this? I couldn't agree more because I know as a Christian writer myself, you know, it's not our story that we're telling, but it's God's story that we're telling. So, you know, That's right. trying to keep on, when I'm writing at least, I always try to keep, is this something that God would want me to say? Or is this something, is this a story God would re resonate with somebody else, you know? So, right. yeah, I, I agree with you completely. So tell us a little bit about your publishing journey. I know that you um, go through a publisher. I think you've had a couple different ones, haven't you? I've had three, right. And, and I also own two of my own publishing companies. Okay. And uh, the first uh, publisher, first mainstream publisher that I worked with was Harvest House uh, publishers in Eugene and of course they they are a well-known company and publish people like Stormy O'Martian and Benetta Chapman and all kinds of people and Jerry Eicher when I was working with them and uh, that came about through a really interesting set of circumstances I had been going to the Mount Hermon Writers Conference which is kind of the grand old lady of all writers conferences in California. And I had been trying to sell my uh, YA mystery stories and I wasn't having a lot of luck. And then I was at a, a, one of the classes or one of the, the panel discussions and they were talking about Amish fiction. And now, and I discovered to my amazement that Amish fiction has been the best-selling Christian genre for about 25 years way more than any other kind of Christian books. And I'm going, what is Amish fiction? <laughs> so, so I talked to uh, Nick Harrison, who was the senior editor at uh, Harvest House at the time. And we had become friends through meeting several times at this conference. And he said, well, it's, uh, it's about Amish people. And so that later when I was home, he, pu he published a blog on his uh, website and in it, he's, I think the thing was titled 12 things the aspiring writer can do to get published this year. And at the end of that, he said, and just to show you where my, my money is, where my mouth is, I will take one sheets for stories for between January 1st and January 30th of 2000, oh, 2011 or whatever it was, whatever year. And, and he says, and I like Amish stories and I like quilting stories. <clears throat> so now, the, so I'm, I look at this and I'm thinking, hmm. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, a musician friend who'd played in a group that was just a wonderful musical group. And they did a bunch of albums and they were so talented and they never made it. And I asked him one time, Bill, 
why didn't you guys ever make it? And he said, we were the band that when opportunity knocked, we answered the phone. And so I thought, I think I hear opportunity knocking and I don't want to answer the phone. So I went to the door instead. And I sent Nick a one sheet and it was the, the idea for the story of a quilt for Jenna, uh, an Amish woman who's lost in a storm who finds a little girl that she has to uh, save by wrapping her in her prize quilt. And I sent it to Nick and he said, this is a great, great idea. He said, send me some sample chapters. So I wrote him three chapters and he, and he sent me back a note and he said, I really love this story, but what's more important is my wife, who's of an Amish background and a quilter loves the story. Keep writing it. So also at the same time, I was getting ready to go back to Mount Hermon. So I sent Steve Lobby, uh, who's one of the well-known agents, the three chapters for his critique because they did that as a as a service right. and when i got to the conference and i i saw steve i went to pick up my critique he said i need to meet with you about this story so we had a meeting and he said this this is this could be a really good book he said can you can you turn this into a novel and i said uh and this is how green I was. I said, well, how many words is that? <laughs> he said, oh, 80,000 or so. So I said, and I remembered that story and I heard opportunity knocking and I said, sure, I can do that. I had no idea if I could do it or not. And so he said, okay, and can you write two more after that? Oh my goodness. And I said, and I said sure, I can do that. So he says, well, go home and write the book. And if you can send that, send that book back to me, and if you can keep my interest all the way through, I think we could do something with this. So I went home, and that was in April, and I went home, and by August, I had finished the book. And I, I sent it to Nick, and I sent it to Steve, and Steve said, this is, this, this is a good book. This will really do. And Nick, at the same time, said, I really love this book. I'm going to... I'm going to submit it to my committee. And two weeks later, I get an email back from Nick. It's a yes. And so here I am. Uh, I, I'm contracted to write three Amish books, and I know absolutely nothing about, <laughs> about, uh, about the Amish or, or quilting. So, so I have to you. ask you, did you go do some research then? How did you find out? I mean, I grew up in an Amish community, so I have a lot of background. So how did you start your, your research? Thank goodness for Google. <laughs> of course. You know, I have, I have uh, folders on my, uh, on my computer that are stuffed with research articles. And I'm a historian. I love history. So research for me is the fun part of it you know, digging into it and finding out the facts. So I just would type into Google, do the Amish blank, you know, fill in the <laughs> blank. And, uh, and I started finding out and I started finding out about quilting and I started finding out about the Amish. And, uh, and so I just kept writing that stuff. And, and then I met an Amish gal online, her 
her name was Cicely Yoder. She's passed away since I met her. But what was really interesting is I contacted a couple of the big name authors, one in particular who'd been, who was a very famous Amish author, and I sent her a note and I asked, just asked her a question, you know, uh, could you, and it was just a yes or no question. And she sent me back a kind of a snarky note saying, I really don't have time to talk to people who are uh, aspiring Amish authors. Oh, goodness. oh well, okay. <laughs> so, so then I met this this gal on Facebook. Her name was Cicely Yoder. She was an Amish, grown-up Amish who had moved to the Mennonite church because of the grace issues. And she was an invaluable, she was a wealth of information. I could send Cicely a question and she would send me back, a, you know, a three-chapter book oh my about... And so I just, I sat at her feet and I learned so much about the Amish. And that's where I found out that the biggest problem in the Amish community is that many of them do not have a saving relationship with, with Jesus. Jesus Christ. Yep. They are so bound up in the ordinance, in the law, that they think that's what's going to give them right standing with God. And they're wrong. I'm sad to say they're wrong. Only Jesus can save. And so that became the main theme of all my books. The law doesn't save you. Somewhere in, in any of my books, as you're reading along, you will come to a point where one of the protagonists says to another, look, the law does not save you. Only Jesus can do that. And so uh, that's kind of how I got going in the Amish, you know, in the Amish genre and the more I wrote, the more I learned and the more I studied. And I even have written historical books about the Amish in America in the 1700s and one about the beginnings of the Mennonite faith back in the 1500s in Germany and Poland. Wow, that is, a, that is just awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with, with us, Patrick. I have to tell you though, sure. when I, when I started to set up this interview, I really thought we were going to talk about the Amish menorah and other stories that you wrote with um, the men of Amish fiction. But since I started researching, I read a couple things about islands, far on ringing plains that you're doing with Murray. And I am just blown away. I cannot wait to sit down and read this book. And I'm not a war type of book reader, but I have to say that I read the intro to the book and it so intrigued me that it's on my to buy book or my to buy list. So yep. if you don't mind, I'm going to share the intro to that book because we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. Is that okay? That's fine. That's okay. great. This is the intro to Islands Far on Ringing Plains. Inspired by true events in the spirit of the thin red line, Hacksaw Ridge, Flags of Our Fathers, and Pearl Harbor. Realistic, gritty, gutsy. Without taking it too far, Craig and Pura take it far enough to bring war home to your heart, mind, and soul. The rough edge of combat is here, and the rough edge, edge of language, human passion, and our flawed humanity. If you can handle the ruggedness and honesty of Saving Private Ryan, 1917, or Dunkirk, you can handle the power and authenticity of islands for on the ringing plains. 
For the beauty and the honor is here too, just like the Bible, in all its roughness and realism and truthfulness about life, reaching out for God is ever present in islands. So, so our hope and faith and self-sacrifice, prayer, Christ, courage, an indomitable spirit, and the best of human nature triumphing over the worst. Bud Parmalee, Johnny Strange, Bill Martins, three men that had each other's backs and the backs of every Marine in their company and platoon. All three were raised never to fight, and all three saw no, no choice but to enlist and try to make a difference. All three would never be the same again, never, and neither would their world. That is captivating, Patrick. I don't know who wrote that intro, but kudos. That's awesome. That's that's Murray. That's Murray's Murray. intro. <laughs> oh, it's and beautiful. With 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 my edits, uh, I'm I'm telling you, I am so privileged to be working with Murray Pura uh, on these books because he is absolutely one of the best writers I have ever read. And it's just a blast to work with him. And I know you did an interview with I him. I did. Mm -hmm. And he's a great interview, isn't he? It, it, we had a ball. We, in yeah. fact, that was one of the ones we had to, we, we had to edit a lot of our chit chat out because we went off on tangents because he was so fun to interview. So yeah, he, he's a blast. So let's and talk And what a about great guy. He is. He is. Um, even his little Canadian accent we were giggling about. So it, it <laughs> yep. was pretty cool. So tell us, we're going to talk a little bit about um, islands. But first, I uh -huh. want you to tell us if you could describe one of the main characters in three words, what would those three words be? So without reading the book, does one of those characters stand out more than the other? Well, that's hard to say because we wrote it. Uh, the way that we wrote the book was that I took a character, uh, Murray took a character, and then we swapped back and forth on Bud Parmley. Okay. So Bud Parmley becomes the Greek chorus, where he's the, the only one who's in the first person. And he tells the story from his point of view. He's the medic. And then, uh, then Johnny Strange and Billy Martin, and both of them... I would say that the three words that describe both of them are faithful, conflicted, and willing. Mm. And so it's, it's an interesting setup because Johnny joins the, Johnny is raised in a Mennonite church and he's sexually abused when he's a, a kid. And the guy who does it is an elder in the church and they sweep it under the rug, even his dad, who's also an elder. And so this twists Johnny up inside. It makes him really, really angry and hurt. And he, when, when Pearl Harbor comes, he, he joins the Marines and he tells his dad, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn to kill. And when I learn to kill really good, I'm coming back to this town and I'm going to kill that guy. Oh, my goodness. So, so when he leaves, he's really twisted. Johnny Strange is wrapped up as tight as you, you can get. Now, Billy Martins, he's a good kid who grows up in Montana. He's a good Mennonite kid, but he's been reading about uh, the Japanese advance through China and the rape of Nanking. And he, and he says, I cannot stand here and, and 
wait for them to come to America and do to my mother and daughter and my mother and sisters what they did in Nanking. So he signs up. And Bud, you know, he's he, Bud's a good guy from Ritzville, Washington. He's He's a big kid, so they've, you know, nonviolent, they've left him alone. But he, 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 says, he says, you know what, Dad, I got to go help. So he joins up and he tells them, kind of like uh, uh, the, the Hacksaw Ridge story. He tells them, I'll do anything you want me to do but kill. So he becomes a medic. So these three guys meet up. They're three Mennonite kids and they end up on Guadalcanal. And that's the, that's the setup for this story. Well, that, is a, that was a great intro yourself. So I'm dying to hear that first page. Would you mind reading us the very first page? What I'd like to read for you is the preamble, and it's just a, uh, a, just a short little preamble, and it's where Bud gives his first introduction to the story. Perfect. And here it is. Preamble, the Corman, Guadalcanal, 1942. When I first saw the islands, it was August 7th, 1942, at 0400 hours. The sky was still dark, but from the deck of the ship, I could see the dark mass of the mountains of Guadalcanal standing in sharp relief against the lighter sky. As the first glow of a golden dawn touched the mountaintops and flowed down their jagged sides, I thought this place must be heaven. Palm trees waved their fronds in the soft breeze. Off the bow, a school of dolphins cast luminescent rainbows into the air as they played in the blue Solomon Sea. But then I remembered, waiting for us in that beautiful jungle, just over there was the enemy. An enemy as determined to kill us as we were to kill them. And it occurred to me that perhaps we should be the most careful in the beautiful places of this world. For in these places, we often let down our guard. The beauty surrounds us and numbs us to danger. We don't pay attention and that could kill us. I am preparing to go ashore with the boys of the US Marines second division. We have trained and practiced. We are in shape and tough, but that's only on the outside. Inside, we are still boys. We shout and strut in front of our leaders, but we do not know how we will behave when hell comes looking for us. War is the great separator. It separates heroes from cowards, the noble from the ignoble, men from boys. There's no second chance and no going back. War is the great decider, the last chance cafe, the non-refundable offer. Beside me are my friends, and on that soon invaded shore, the enemy. I pray that the story we write here will be one of men who discover the greatest that lives within them and the God that is all around them. Corman. Oh, my goodness, Patrick. That was, that was beautiful. That was just beautiful. And like I said, I'm, not, I'm typically not someone who reads that type of story because I'm all rainbows and sunshine, but um, <laughs> I, I am very intrigued by that. Um, I'm, like I said, that book is on my to read list. So, so I have to know, is there a future for any of these characters? Are you and Murray talking about a sequel? We have written the sequel actually. Oh, perfect. 
it's Perfect. called the, the scepter in the aisle. So, and it takes these guys from Guadalcanal uh, to New Zealand for uh, rest and refreshing. And then they go to Tarawa and, and Saipan. So the second book is those two battles, which were major battles of the Pacific War. Then the third book will be called Men Who Strove With Gods. And that one takes place on Okinawa. And that's the story. Then, Tracy, we have a whole idea for this. It's actually going to be a nine-book series. Oh, my goodness. And the second series is going to be called Jungles. And it's going to be three books about Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Oh, my goodness. And the, the protagonists are going to be the sons of our three characters from World War II. Oh, do you, th I have to know, you know, because I'm a rainbows and sunshine, will you, uh, is there ever a point where they go back home in any of the stories? Yes. Will you bring them back yes. home? Okay. To face the things they, that drove them to become a Marine in the first place? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's, that's part of why we're doing this because, uh, and in fact, uh, Murray has just written a, a, short story for some for a project he's doing and it's called black sands and it talks about our boys being home after the war and getting hired to be extras in john wayne's movie the sands of iwo jima <laughs> oh my goodness and because they're because they were there and they they're like technical experts plus they and so they go and they refight these battles. And this short story that Murray wrote is just brilliant about the stuff that this brings up working on this movie. It's just, they're going, and, and, and Bud, who was the most level-headed of all the guys, uh, is the one who becomes the most conflicted by all this. Um, so, so it's very interesting. And then the third series is gonna be called Deserts. And it's going to be the story of the current desert campaigns in the Middle East. And in this one is going to be the grandsons and granddaughters of our three original heroes. I bet you and Murray have had a ball bouncing all of these ideas off of each other to come up with these storylines because you guys yeah. have thought it completely out. Oh my goodness. You have years worth of work in front of you. That is, that yeah. is really cool. What fun. Uh -huh. Oh, it sounds, it sounds wonderful. I mean, I, I, I'd like to be a little mouse in the corner when you and Murray are bouncing all these ideas off of each other because I, oh my goodness. Just, he's oh an goodness. inexhaustible <laughs> supply. He's an, he's an inexhaustible supply of great ideas. And in fact, as a, as a rest from the, from the intensity of this series, he and I are now writing a Western series. <laughs> oh my goodness. Called, well, called uh, Storm Riders. And we're oh. in the middle of our first book on that called The Drive. Oh, how do you do three, sto three different stories at one point? You know, I am very tunnel focus you know I write one book at a time and I know what the second book's going to be or the next book but I can't write more than one story at a time <laughs> so I, I applaud you for that I applaud I applaud you for that but I'm a little OCD so you know I can I have to stay focused yeah well uh, and there is a challenge there because like you say um, you can get too scattered with some of this stuff but 
I've been wanting to write, I have a, a folder on my, on my computer that's got about 70 story ideas and I want to write all of them, you know, and I don't want to just write Amish fiction. And in fact, Murray and I have started pushing among our circle of author friends for a return to what we call Christian literary fiction. What, what we see, and Murray may have talked about this, but what we see in the Christian publishing industry is, is almost a dumbing down. Uh, you know, the push, and it's from the publishers, not from the authors. And the publishers, what they want is happily ever after romance written by women for women. Right. And so in, this, in the 70s, they started deliberately not buying what we would call literary fiction. And in that realm, I would put guys like Hemingway and Faulkner and, and, and Anne Rind and, and, uh, and Harper Lee and, and, you know, people that were writing the great works that you don't see much of that kind of writing anymore. So Murray and I have started pushing all of our friends, look, and that's what I love about uh, in the Amish menorah. And we'll just talk about that for a minute. Um, there are six stories in the Amish menorah and other stories. And one of them was two chapters written by Jerry Eicher, who's been writing Amish fiction for years. And those two chapters are from a book that he's been struggling to get published for five years. And it's called When Hearts Break. And I read the two chapters. I, I was in the same publishing company with Jerry, but in that for a long time, I've known about him for 12 years and I never read any of his stuff. And he, at the end of our Amish Menorah project, he asked me if I would read the whole book and give him an endorsement. I read the book and I was just totally blown away. It's called When Hearts Break. And it's not Amish fiction. It's literary fiction about Amish people. It's beautifully written. And that's the kind of writing now that we're trying to push our Christian friends, our Christian writer friends to start looking at. Write about things that take a deep dive into the dark, places of the human psyche, but then lift your reader up to sublime and glorious heights of realization. You know, in the, in Far on the Ringing Plains, there's a great scene that I love. I really love this. Bud uh, is, is with his guys and they, they are attacking this village. And during the battle, there's a huge explosion and it blows a tree down on Bud and another Marine. And they're, they're hidden. The rest of the guys leave and they're left alone in the dark under this tree. Well, Bud happened to fall into a hole and so he wasn't crushed, but the guy next to him is dying. And so under this tree in the darkness of Guadalcanal, Bud leads this young man to Christ. And it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole book. And so in the middle of this horrible battle, the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented clearly and succinctly to a young dying soldier. And, you know, we as literary authors or as Christian authors, a lot of the time we're writing uh, to a real closed audience. We're, we're preaching to the choir. We're, writing Christian books that Christian people read. 
But what about the people that don't know Christ? You know, don't we have a mission to reach them? Shouldn't we be writing books that they could read? And when they, when they end up at the end of the book, they put it down and they go, wow, I need to think about my relationship with God. You know, I really do. You said it perfectly because how many men will pick up your and Murray's books, not even thinking that it has a message from God in it. And like you said, we'll put down the book and say, you know, I need to examine my relationship with Christ. So you're doing yeah. it perfectly, perfectly. You know, um, I wrote that series, um, Secrets of Willow Springs, and it's not a rainbow and sunshine book whatsoever. It's about abuse and alcoholism and, you know, lies and deception. And I've had so many of my readers talk about what a refreshing refreshing book to read of real life real life situations yes. you know and then the the my recent book love blooms at the apple blossom inn it is all rainbows and sunshine <laughs> so you know um it was actually you want to know and i haven't said this to too many people other than my husband i had a harder time writing love blooms at the apple blossom inn which is all rainbows and sunshine than i did the realistic secrets of willow springs because that brought in real life situations that that people experience in life today yes. because life isn't all rainbows and sunshine no it's so, it's not and when you're writing isn't it important for when when someone reads a section a paragraph or a chapter of your book for them to go i know exactly what they're talking about exactly exactly because i because i have been there and then you give them something to think about that might be an answer for the very difficulty that they're experiencing in their own life. Exactly. You know, I have to say. That's a mission field, Tracy. It, it, it is a mission field. And I'll tell you a little story that I have not shared with too many people. But the third book in um, Secrets of Willow Springs will talk about depression. And my grandson just committed suicide two years ago. So oh, that sad. that that depression, and, and my character will not commit suicide, but he's going to go through some really troubling periods in his life where depression becomes very evident or prevalent in his life. And it's going to be hard, and it is hard for me to write it because I'm having to relive the depression of my grandson. So yeah, it, real life situations, people have to hear that, Patrick, and I can't agree with you more that, you know, and our mission as Christian writers is to bring bring situations to mind and how they can reach out for their faith or or pull from their faith to get them through those challenges. Yeah. Well, when Murray and I were riding Far on the Ringing Plains, one of the big issues that we had to wrestle with was language. Oh, I bet. Because we're talking about soldiers in battle. And they're not saying, oh, my word, what's going on? <laughs> They're no. shooting at me, you know, <laughs> they're, they're not yeah. doing that. They're, they're using marine language. And, and so we, we wrote it and then we sent it to some military guys, guys that, that had been in the military. And we said, what do you think? And some of them were Christians and some weren't. And the Christian, all, without hesitation, every one of them said, you need to have the language in because anyone who's been in the military who starts reading this book and they don't 
feel like it's realistic, you know, authentic, genuine, they're going to put it down and they won't go back to it. And your whole plan will be stymied right there. So we put it in. You know, we didn't we didn't get heavy on, you know, the Lord taking the Lord's name in vain, but there's there's some marine there's a lot of marine language in there that you just gotta work through. And that's like in that intro where if you can handle the power and honesty and ruggedness of saving private Ryan, then you can handle far on the ringing planes. Oh, perfect. You know? And you and you couldn't have written it without it because it wouldn't have no. been authentic. It wouldn't have no. been. No. We had to. We had to. Patrick, this has been a wonderful interview, and thank you so much for sharing so much um, with us about both the Islands um, uh, series that you're writing with Murray and a little bit about the Amish menorah. And I just have to mention that if you want to hear more about the Amish menorah, we interviewed Murray uh, Pura in June, and you can go back to that podcast and listen to that um, again. And he talks in great detail about the Amish menorah. So Patrick, before we finish up, I just have to ask you a couple of fun questions. First, can you uh -huh. tell us who your favorite author is? Uh, this is an interesting one. My favorite author is Zane Gray. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a lot of people think that Zane Gray is just a cowboy writer that he wrote like adventure stories and cowboy stories. But Zane Gray is one of the best romantic writers that ever put pen to paper. Every story has a love story woven into it. And, and many of them do not get resolved until the last paragraph of the book. He's, <laughs> he's brilliant. But what he does with his romances is he gives you noble men who who elevate women to the place that they should have that you know they protect their women's honor they repet, they protect their women's integrity and in those days if you did if you abused a woman or or did something to a woman and and the and the good guys found out about it you disappeared you didn't you, you you were no longer in that town and you might have a place on boot hill because oh that's just that's just how they dealt with it and so zane gray gives you these noble characters and wonderful noble women i love that word nobility because we need more of that in our characters we need to to present characters that have high ideal not not that they're perfect or not that they won't stumble, but that the way that they live is noble and uplifting. And so that's why I love Zane Gray. I've got all, every one of his books on my bookshelf downstairs, every one. Oh, perfect, perfect. And as my last question, I always like to ask what you wanted to be when you grew up, but you told us that in second grade, <laughs> you already wanted to be a writer. So was there anything else? I mean, you were a writer and a musician, but was there anything else floating out there that you thought, oh, maybe I want to do that when I grow up? Uh, yeah, I, I, when I went to college, I, I, I started out as a triple major, music, journalism, and uh, English or history. So I wanted to be a historian, uh, a, a journalist. I wanted to maybe, you know, work for, for a newspaper. But as I, as I started going, and of course that was during the Vietnam War, and I started seeing 
that journalism was headed in a, in a, in a difficult direction. There were very few, uh, you know, journalists who were really journalists because when I learned journalism, it was who, what, where, why, and when that's how you wrote it. And there was no editorialization and there was no opinionating. You just wrote the facts, just the facts, ma'am. And I saw that whole industry moving away. So I abandoned that. And I ended up, uh, after my first year in college, I ended up moving to, uh, San Francisco during the summer of love and played in bands down there and did recorded albums and did all that. But really, like I said in the beginning, I always wanted to write books. I always wanted to tell stories that, that changed people's lives. And actually I am working on another little project and it's called um, Say Goodbye to the River. And I'm a, I grew up in the mountains. I grew up in Walla Walla and my aunt and uncle had a cabin over in the Wallawa uh, Whitman Forest, which is just 150 miles from us. And, and the beautiful Wallawa Lake. And, the, and when I was there a few weeks ago, it was filled with people that, that had nothing to do because of COVID. So they all ended up in the mountains trashing the wilderness. Oh. And, and it was heartrending to me because I've been going there for 60 years up in these mountains. And so I'm now writing a book that's my memoirs of me growing up on the river and especially with my uncle who taught me how to fly fish. And it's going to be something like Big Two-Hearted River by Ernest Hemingway. I hope I can make it literary like that. <laughs> but, but it will tell the story of the wilderness and when it, you know, and what it, what it was and what it may never be again. Oh, so that that's a project, and it's called Say Goodbye to the River. Add to your, your list of projects. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you yeah. have a list of them. <laughs> well, Patrick, I want to thank you for spending time with us this week, and I look forward to reading Far on Ringing Plains along with all of your projects. And that wraps up this week's episode. Next week, we'll have award-winning Amish author Lenora Worth on board. So we'll see you next week on the Buggy Talk podcast. 